Our scripture reading this morning is taken from James chapter 1, and we'll be reading the verses 1 through 12. James is a small book with five chapters and 108 verses, if I counted correctly. And when you read through this letter in one sitting, it will not take very long before you discover how profoundly practical this letter is and how piercingly powerful its implications. Now, some books of the Bible stress the indicatives of the gospel, directing us to what we have in Christ, and many of the chapters of the book of Romans are written this way. But this letter is punctuated by some 60 imperatives or 60 commands uh, by the things that God calls us to do. And what we will read this morning is no exception. So let us now prepare our hearts to hear God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes." so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So far the reading of Holy Scripture. Let us now sing Psalm 77, the stanzas 2, 4, and 7. I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in James chapter 1, the verses 1 through 4. Let's read those verses again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so far. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 43, the stanzas 3 and 5. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, living in a fallen and sinful world, Christians are not exempt from experiencing trials, tribulation, and suffering. Struggles and afflictions are never far away. 
Throughout history, believers have cried out to God with songs of lament. For example, did you know that within the book of Psalms, there are more laments and prayers that ask why than there are songs of praise? A trial is something that troubles and perplexes us. The dark storm clouds of adversity threaten to block out the light of God's mercy. And no child of God escapes such affliction. The Apostle Paul speaks about how he was afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always being given up to death for Christ's sake. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-11. through 11. Our Lord Jesus Christ came face to face with many struggles during his earthly ministry. There was times when his human spirit was greatly troubled. Now trials can hit us gradually or come upon us quite suddenly. And they come in various forms. Your trial may be a health concern, financial difficulty, or a struggle against a particular sin. It may be a matter of coming to grips with being single, widowed, or not being able to conceive children. We may struggle with accepting the Lord's will when loved ones have done something terrible to us. If family members stray, or when God comes and suddenly takes one of our loved ones without us being able to say goodbye. Trials can come in the form of disappointments, depression, frustrations, misunderstandings, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, hurtful slander, tremendous loss, loneliness, fear, anxiety, criticism or conflict. And in such difficulties, our greatest certainties and principles are often challenged. Trials, however, are never an end in themselves, but always serve the purpose of testing the genuineness and the sincerity of our faith. They are meant to make us secure in the Lord and in his promises. So how are you and I to respond to the trials that we face today? Well, that question is answered by James in our text. And it is my prayer that the instruction you receive today encourages you to face each day in the hope of receiving victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our theme is as follows. The Holy Spirit directs us to the way we are to accept trials. And we look at three things. First, we are to have a joyful attitude. Then, to know what it produces. And third, become a complete person. This letter written by James is addressed to the 12 tribes of the dispersion or scattered among the nations. In both the Old and New Testament, the number 12 is associated with the gathering of the church. And so James's opening statement indicates that he is addressing the people of God recognized as the legitimate continuation of the church. 
And more than likely, these people were Jewish Christians who had been scattered after the persecution in Jerusalem that took place after the death of Stephen. Read about that in Acts chapter 8. In the opening verse of this letter, it is also clear how James views hardship and affliction. He doesn't describe himself as an important office bearer elevated above the congregation. But he speaks as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he submits himself to the will of God. His contemporaries understood that a servant was dependent on his master. Not just for food and clothing, but for his general well-being. Well, as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James is not a master of his own destiny. The Lord Jesus is his master. And therefore, he will submit himself to God's plan and purpose. Now, we can read over these verses rather rapidly. But it is fascinating telling and intriguing that James, in this opening verse, would call himself a servant of Jesus. This James is the blood brother of Jesus. And how many of you boys and girls are prepared to end all the squabbling that you can sometimes do in family life and then write in a letter that you are a servant of your brother or sister, you'd probably react, yeah, right, whatever. But James considers this to be the greatest honor. Since his elder brother is his Savior and Lord, his brother is God's one and only son. James experienced the miracle of God's love and the transforming power of the Spirit. For he no longer views Jesus from an earthly point of view, as he had done when he did not believe. His eyes have been opened by the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, once that happens, you will look at Jesus as he is. Lord. The great I am who I am. And you will bow before him who himself humbled himself and became a servant. And you will acknowledge him as Savior and Messiah. You see, that already changes everything, doesn't it? When I know myself to be a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, my identity will not be determined by what others think. And I will not be driven by success and achievements to impress others. The best thing that can happen to me is that I am known as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I no longer look at Jesus from an earthly point of view, that will change how I view you, too. The most important way I look at you is that you are my brothers and my sisters. And this is where James takes us as well. For James addresses his readers very personally as my brothers or 
as it can be translated as well, my brothers and sisters. These people are his brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. James identifies himself with them in a common bond of faith in the Lord Jesus. In the second verse of this letter, James gets right to the point that he wants to make with these believers. For those who are in Jesus will not escape the trials of life. If we conducted a poll here this morning, you find out pretty quickly that even though we might fake fine, every family and every individual faces trials and difficulties of some sort. James encourages his readers to consider it pure joy when they face these trials. Literally, when they fall, perhaps without warning, into the potholes of trials. These Christians are encouraged to maintain a joyful disposition, regardless of how shaken they are by the potholes of trials. Now, the people to whom James writes these words needed to hear this. Extreme poverty enveloped much of the the church life of the time. Opposition, persecution, and rejection appear to be more the norm than the exception. After Stephen had been stoned to death, a persecution arose that caused the church in Jerusalem to be scattered. Believers sought refuge in Judea, Samaria, and the outlying regions of the Mediterranean coast. Having left the security of home, they faced rejection by their Jewish relatives because they were Christians. They were denied work, refused help, left in dire straits of poverty. And yet, these people needed to hold fast to the certainty of knowing God as is at work even in the midst of such difficulties. What James is essentially saying is this. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. God placed you in this fallen world to live and work because he intended to use the difficulties you face to do something in you that couldn't be done in any other way. God is working through your daily circumstances to transform you, to rescue you from yourself. And isn't that amazing? What this passage underlines is this. Trials are the instruments the Lord uses to form us and to expose the spiritual faithfulness, endurance, growth, maturity, and completeness he wants to see in us. They are not sent to cast doubt on God's promises, but to enrich our faith. The Lord prods and pokes us out of our securities and our outward support systems and breaks us out of our sense of entitlement. He brings trials 
so that we should get on our knees in a confession of our great need. Key word in verse 2 is count or consider. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And the word James uses indicates that when we face trials, we must evaluate, let the situation pass through our thought process in the light of God's design and purpose, and then let the final outcome be joy. Such joy is learned. Just as we learn to be content in whatever state we find ourselves. If we value the comforts and conveniences of life too highly and cannot handle it when things don't go the way we want, trials will upset us and embitter us. If we have the idea that everything has to be running perfectly in order for us to be happy, we will be discouraged before we get five steps out of bed. If we live only for the present and forget the future, trials will fill our hearts with gall instead of gladness, and the slightest frustration and setback will drag us down. Now, most people can look back at a difficulty they experienced and rejoice in the support they received or be thankful because they can see after the fact how God was fulfilling his purpose. We consider it pure joy when the outcome of the trial is positive news, when we can end the day and thank the Lord for sparing lives and keeping us safe. But James instructs us to consider it pure joy, even when there is nothing positive about the entire experience even when you stand all alone, even when your body is filled with pain and the light at the end of the tunnel is obstructed by the freight train of horrific trials. Though tears fill our eyes and anxiety threatens our hearts, we can have joy because we believe that through the trial, the Lord is fulfilling his purpose. Our sovereign Lord is leading the way, directing every situation to our eternal benefit. And that's what gives fullness of joy. A pure, total, complete joy in the Lord. Trials pledge better things to come. Romans 8 verse 18 says it this way. The suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Joy in trials causes believers to consider it a privilege to have their faith tested. Not because the trial is so pleasant. But they know that through such tests, the Lord is drawing them closer to himself. For isn't it true? That when the Lord, when we are faced with struggles of life, 
we are much more aware of the presence of the Lord. Our prayer life increases. We spend more time in the word. And we walk in communion with God. And when trials are absent, we easily become careless and comfortable in our comings and goings. The proper and Christian reaction to trials and trouble is not humanistic resignation, but joyful acceptance. The Lord will provide us with the strength to help us through it. 1 Peter 1 verse 20 tells us, when we suffer for doing what is right, we have God's approval. Let us never forget that the worst of our trials do not even come close to the suffering Jesus had to endure for us. He suffered in ways we cannot even imagine. The author to the Hebrews encourages us to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus went through trials, looking beyond the suffering to the joy of eternal glory. And knowing the will of God in trials and leaning on the Lord Jesus makes it possible for children of the Lord to sing psalms while being burned at the stake or imprisoned. With tears of grief rolling down their cheeks, they can sing praise to the Lord standing at a graveside. With the ache of loneliness, the pain of physical, emotional, and mental ailments, the strain of stress and anxiety, they can still sing and make melody to the Lord in their hearts. The Apostle Paul was burdened by a thorn in the flesh, something he had to bear his entire life. Yet it did not embitter him. Instead, he exclaimed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we are to have a joyous attitude in trials because they draw us closer to the Lord. And in the third verse, we are directed to how we must know what the testing of our faith produces. In the context of speaking about trials, James writes, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when he says, for you know, he's talking about knowledge gained from experience. By going through trials ourselves or by seeing others go through them, we learn that the testing of our faith works endurance. Trials are meant to produce something very beneficial for ourselves and for others who see God at work in us throughout the time of testing. The Lord tests us by means of various difficulties to increase our level of endurance. Well, you know how athletes will go through vigorous training, exercise, and discomfort 
because they know it will increase their endurance levels. Similarly, the Lord tests us through trials to make us strong, to strengthen our spiritual endurance levels. And implied in the word testing is the idea that what the Lord intends to do with the specific trial will be completed successfully. What a comforting thought. When you think you can't go further and you feel paralyzed by the affliction, God assures you that you can go on in his strength. Your heavenly Father preserves you in such a way that you will persevere to the end. Trials are designed to produce a tenacity of spirit that holds on under pressure while waiting God's time. And every time we come through a trial, we are established and strengthened in our faith. The Lord tests our faith to produce greater endurance and for greater service so that we may be complete and mature. Verse 4 concludes, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James exhorts us to let God do his work in our lives when he sends trials upon us. Let endurance do what God wants it to do. And the word perfect does not mean sinless here, but has the idea of getting us to the place where the Lord wants us to be. It's exactly the same word Jesus used when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So being perfect means complete, being complete. And being complete is to be whole, acting according to the purpose for which we were created. Well, brothers and sisters, this is something requiring our undivided hearts. James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. The Lord wants your minds to be set on one thing, namely his service. You are to live for him with the totality of your being. The trials that you are confronted with in life are meant to lead you to greater endurance, which in turn must result in seeking the Lord with your whole being. The Old Testament gives us many examples of how There was an endurance and perseverance in trials. Job was severely tested when his children and his possessions were taken from him. His own wife turned against him and suggested that he curse God and die. But Job remained steadfast. In his adversity and sorrow, he praised the name of the Lord. As he sat out on the garbage heap, Afflicted with sores and totally misunderstood by his friends, he was extremely miserable and troubled. And yet, looking beyond the trial while in the trial, he breaks forth 
and sings of his Redeemer. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. It's a marvelous example of how a severe trial produced perseverance. And the second example is from the prophecy of Habakkuk. The prophet cries out to the Lord in his affliction and confesses in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And who would not be inclined in such a situation to panic and become desperate? But the prophet continues, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Beloved, the only way out of a trial is to go through it. The Lord does not promise us a life without trials, but he gives us safe passage in and through the storms. In Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3, the Lord speaks these consoling words. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Well, brothers and sisters, learn from what the Scriptures reveal to you. God the Lord is your strength and your salvation. And pray that you and fellow believers are not overwhelmed by afflictions. The Lord who created and adopted you knows what is best for you and gives you every reason for singing. A 19th century hymn writer put it this way, My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I catch the sweet though far off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die? The Lord my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round? Songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the cloud grows thin. I see the blue above it. And day by day this pathway smooths since first I learned to love it. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart. A fountain ever springing, 
All things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing? Indeed, how can I keep from singing? As a servant of God and of Christ Jesus, I am safe in the care of my Savior who takes me through all trials and causes me to persevere as the author and the finisher of my faith and who does so as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen.